In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Well, I would like to open the show by reviving a topic that has been very heated. <laughs> I already and know. I already know what grape it is. Grape nuts. <laughs> I think you're grape nuts. Because uh, let me tell you, number one, I have received many messages in solidarity with from people who are also fans of grape nuts and agree entirely with my method of preparation. Do they agree with the word tender? They're not. They're not big fans. <laughs> See, that's that's the real issue. That's the real issue. A, I don't think the cereal looks appealing. But you have uh-huh. actually turned me off to the cereal more by than turning me it. on by saying that you need to make it tender. okay well right now do you have your phone next to you i do okay i'm texting you a picture of the original advertising for grape nuts that um i think pythos on our other podcast sent me okay i'm looking at it it arrived i'm looking at it right now i haven't read it yet but listeners you have to post this photo somewhere i will they can really get the whole thing um listeners and just sent me the original ad yeah and it is literally a relic from the past i feel like it really this, really is this could have come out of legends of the hidden temple this could have <laughs> been uh excavated this could be in the wheel of time world <laughs> it, it probably yes well number one just to give you a little teaser before you head over to our social media to see it it is a box with muscular arms and legs holding <laughs> up holding another like well-built man and it the the headline reads steadies a man but what I really wanted to draw your attention to was the sentence that says, it is, <laughs> it is a concentrated, partially pre-digested food. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I feel like they described God. it even worse than I did. They, oh, this, this looks terrible. And it, it actually has to specify in this ad, I'll give you one more teaser. It says, <laughs> it's food, not medicine. Just in case you thought that the grape nuts were medicine. Well, um, I just, I'm excited. I'm glad that there are other grape nut enthusiasts Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that treasure from the original advertising was pretty majestic. I actually, it's so entertaining to look at. I kind of thought about like getting a print of it for my office. I think you kind of should. Right? It's like caught that really old-timey advertising feel. I think oh, it would be totally. Fun. It's kind of like a the kind of thing you'd see in um like a bar, like a hipster sort of bar situation, yes. like hanging up in a yes. frame next to like a the image of the old school boxer and the like leotardy yes. type thing. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. <sighs> Gosh. Okay. Well, I have a few more things that I wanted to talk about. Two, I, I just have really two quick recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, I've been listening to a lot of Marina, who is formerly Marina and the Diamonds. Oh, Do yeah. you know her? I love her. Love her. Okay. Have you listened to her like latest two albums? I listened to the last album I've listened to in entirety, like and played and played and played was Fruit. Okay, And yeah, then yeah, yeah. I've heard songs off of her most recent albums. The most recent one is the one with the man's world on it, right? 
Yeah. Uh, that might be the second, the one before the most recent oh, one. Oh wow. I think. Okay, that's the last album I've heard like multiple songs off of, but I love them. Okay. I they're great albums. I've been just listening to her on repeat. All of her albums, basically on shuffle on repeat. So if you're not a Marina fan, you should go. Give her a try. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen the video for the the Man's World song. I haven't. It's no. great, and it it's, you know, the, the concept of the song is, like, not wanting to live in a man's world anymore, and all of the, like, backup dancers or dancers with her in the video are mm-hmm. women of varying sizes, of mm. um, varying races and ethnicities, and I think there's even a couple of non-binary people there. I, I just love that she made a song about not wanting to live in a, in a man's world and didn't just make it, made it accessible to everybody right. who feels that way. Yeah, 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 totally. It's very much, yeah, I love, yeah, it's a great song. I'm excited to go see the video now. Um, the second thing that I just wanted to mention is Lil Nas X's entire album, Montero, came out. Have you listened to any of it? This is so timely. I literally listened to the whole album yesterday. <laughs> It's so good, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. The song with Elton John credited on it yes. is excellent. It's all excellent. It's all it excellent. Is, it's just I great. love the Miley Cyrus duet. Oh, That's yeah. great. Yeah, we were we were big fans of it. I, I listened to it in the car and then I just played it over again. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. That's all. That's all I have as far as recommendations. Okay. I have a couple of things. Um, one is just a quick random thing from Housewives because I always have to do a Housewives thing. Okay. They did a – so as you, I'm sure you know, they're not doing a New York reunion this season. Yes, which I'm is, happy. I think, yeah. ridiculous actually. <clears throat> ridiculous. They, they, you can't just do Housewives and not have a reunion anymore. Well, you can Even if it's, it's a one-episode reunion. <laughs> I thought the season was great, to be honest. Ugh, God. But on that topic, they did a random episode. I normally don't watch these sort of, like, Housewives... Extra scenes. Yeah, yeah. But they, they packaged it as a regular episode, so they caught they got me off guard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and one of the segments... It's worth watching just for one segment. They have calling it... Um, they call it Not Having It Nat. Uh-huh. And Nat is Ebony's best friend, who is featured at the Black Shabbat dinner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Not the one who has the, the tragic story of the hospital moment but right. the other one who's making all the faces yeah <laughs> and they have a whole featured part of her and they call her not having it nat and they talk to her about her experience of being around oh. these women <laughs> oh my god like they interview her hilarious yeah apparently she was interviewed with ebony and a lot of the talking heads oh. and she was just cut from it um Ooh. kind of like how they did with sometimes what they do with the house husbands like sitting yeah, next yeah, to yeah. them and there's yeah. a moment when she's like ebony i think i even asked you a couple times how long are we doing this for? <laughs> How long are we hanging out with these people? <laughs> it was worth it just for that. So shout out to that moment. I'm going to try to find a clip of it for you because I wouldn't watch the whole episode. Okay. Um, and then speaking of Housewives, I wanted to just give a recommendation. I've recommended them before, but now I've actually listened to their whole podcast. Okay. So oh, yeah, yeah. the Bravo Docket mm-hmm. is a Instagram I've been following a while that follows um, that goes along with a website for this podcast and it's two attorneys and they break down all of the sort of lawsuits and and the like that happen in the bravo world Mm -hmm. they've got about 18 episodes out i think they released one monthly and they're just excellent i i love them they're i feel like they've got a really great rapport um Mm -hmm. they're funny they're 
educated and you learn so much about the inner workings of what's going on. They they even did like the Luann arrest episode. Ooh. They go into like how that all went down exactly and they even go into like the lawsuits that followed with um her kids and the count. Um I'm currently listening to their current episodes are the Teresa and Joe okay. lawsuits. And everything around that. And it's a three-part episode. They've only released the first two. So I'm still waiting for that third one. I'm very excited to hear it because, as you know, I'm a big New Jersey fan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I actually messaged them recently because they asked some, que- some questions about uh, <laughs> Teresa's former wine brand, Fabellini. <laughs> what? I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I... Fabellini? Mm-hmm. It was wow. like a, I think it was like a flavored sparkling wine thing. I bought, I bought one bottle you of didn't. each. You did not. I have to, this is a story I can't believe I haven't told you. And if you <laughs> haven't seen the photo associated with it, I did send them the photo so you can find it in our sent box on oh Instagram. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to look right now while you're telling the story. I uh, saw Teresa was doing a event nearby when the product launched and I was working at a Starbucks on the same road, on the same highway as where she was doing the event, you Mm. better believe as soon as I exited my shift, I drove right down there in my crappy Starbucks (laughs) uniform, sweaty and and all, (laughs) picked up two bottles of Fabellini, the two flavors, and stood in line to meet her and get them signed. (laughs) (laughs) And I have photographic proof. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. I can see why it didn't really last. It wasn't very good, but... <laughs> well, with a name like Fabellini, I'm not surprised. Yeah, but I have to say, the Bravo Docket, the uh, the podcast is just as good as the Instagram, if not better. So check them out if you like true crime stuff in the Bravo world and just a lot of fun. And of the other things I have here, um, I'll do one recommendation. Okay. I watched a documentary. I actually just finished it today. It's called Lulu Rich. Have you heard of it? Oh, is that the LuLaRoe person, the MLM thing? Yeah. I I don't know anything about it, but I've, like, seen a bunch of stuff in the news recently. Yeah, I didn't know a lot about it either, but everyone was talking about this documentary. It's Lula Rich. I'm sorry. I misspoke. And it's on Amazon Prime, and it's, I think, four-parter. It's excellent. Um, Okay. It really goes deep into it and they interview the the president and vice president and such and they're still operating so they're doing the interview like defending themselves and they're clearly thinking they're coming off looking great but as you're watching oh, it, I see. like everything else surrounding it all the interviews with everybody else it's just so much staggering evidence against everything they're saying <laughs> mm-hmm. uh yeah and it goes deep it's not just it's not just an mlm it's like yeah, it's it's very very worth watching. I'm sure I'm late to the party here, but if you haven't seen it, highly recommend. Nice, cool. And I'll save the rest of the stuff for another time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we still have more things on our master list to talk about. All right, well, should we do the episode? Let's do it. Oh, there's my dogs. Great. I didn't hear them. Ooh, maybe I really did echo proof this closet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's your new recording studio. It's a little hot in here. <laughs> Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) All right. Well, this is, well, this is ripped from the headlines if you're just tuning in (laughs) for the first time. If you're 16 minutes in (laughs) and you haven't figured that part out, I don't know what to tell you. And uh, I'm Matt. That's N. I will be reviewing the episode, recapping the episode, doing all that stuff. And it's episode 
four of season three. It's called The Corporate Veil. Mm. And I didn't know what that meant. I had to actually look it up. And oh, is that a phrase? Yeah, it's a, it's like a business phrase or like a legal phrase. And oh. it's a, according to Google, it's a legal concept that separates the personality of a corporation from the personalities of its shareholders and protects them from being personally, personally liable for the company's debts oh. and other obligations. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And there's, I think the common phrase is piercing the corporate veil or something mm. like that, but whatever. We open with a young man parked outside of, like, a building, and he's picking up who we're meant to believe is his little sister. Okay. Who I guess is leaving a music lesson of some sort. It's kind of not important, but they seem they <laughs> kind of make it seem like it's going to be important because she can't stop talking about how excited she is that she can be in band. <laughs> Um, and I just thought, from my experience growing up, it's not as exciting as you might think to be in band or choir. <laughs> were, you, were you in band? I was not in band, but I was in choir for, like, my Same. whole life. And don't get me wrong, I love my years in choir and, like, the experiences I had, but I also hated it in a lot of ways, too. <laughs> oh, sure. Like, we were deeply uncool being in right. choir. Right. Did, didn't do any, anything for my, uh, my high school Social experience, standing. for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... And also, I don't mean to pick on child actors, but I also kind of do, because I'm generally more annoyed by child actors than anyone, anything else. Yeah. And when one is great, I'm usually blown away. Uh, this one is is definitely from Bad. that Disney School of Overacting SNL skit. Ugh. God. <laughs> we have her very excited to be in band, talking to her brother. They're just driving around. And then we cut to some cops who are walking through Central Park, I believe. And they're talking about sports, so I didn't care. And soon after, we see something must have unexpectedly happened in that car ride that we just saw. Because with no catalyst whatsoever, we're back in the car, and the driver of the car, the older brother, we don't see him, but he's making this strange sound <laughs> that sounds like he could be a White Walker in Game of Thrones or something. It's like... <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to be, um, but the you know the little sister's like, "Are you okay?" And then we see the car running a red light, missing some other cars, and then crashing into a like fruit stand in the park. Oh my gosh! And the scene is actually pretty well done for Law and Order. I was actually very impressed the way people were darting out of the way. It was very dramatic. Huh. Good for them, right? Then the little girl steps out of the car unharmed completely, not even sweating or anything. Um, <laughs> and I think she's supposed to be disoriented, but she's kind of like looking around like she's in Willy Wonka or like The Wizard of Oz or something. Not like, <laughs> like she's just... never seen the outside world. Yeah, she's just kind of like looking like, wow, in wonder. And the actual like person in the car, the victim of the accident, no one's really caring about. They're just like, oh, <sighs> this little girl. We learn in the next scene, though, in the hospital that the girl's name is uh, Anna Martinez, and there's a cop telling Logan and Soretta that the older brother, you know, that was in the car, he likely, like, passed out because he was probably drunk. Mm. Um, first first guess they make. Soon after, a very attractive doctor clears it up for them, and he says, mm. unfortunately, he, he did die. He was DOA from a heart attack, not from being drunk. Mm. Logan says... Right. Logan says, I rewound it, like, ten times... Because he's, he just says one word, very shockingly. And it's, I think it's, he just says, hello? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? 
like they say, <laughs> DOA from heart attack. Hello? And then we cut <laughs> to the credits. <laughs> what the hell? So... Uh. If I were able to watch it with subtitles to tell you, I would, but I don't, this season's not in any uh, format where I can do that. Same. I almost looked up the script, but I was like, I can't, I can't get too deep into this. <laughs> um, the opening credits start, so I had a minute and I figured, you know, mm. I'll do something that'll take an appropriate amount of time. Sure. So since we just moved, I went to Ikea, bought, transported, <laughs> and assembled an entire bedroom set. Mm-hmm. And by the time mm-hmm. I threw out the packaging and returned, the credits were just ending. Did what um like what color wood finish did you pick? Was it like the the black, the white, the like wood grain, you know, the, the black brown kind of thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah, good choice. Back at the station now, they're talking to Anna and Roberto's mother. Roberto is the victim of the car accident. And the dead guy. Yeah, the dead guy. And <laughs> a, there's a lawyer in the room, and he's representing her, and he says that. Roberto had a pacemaker, which surprises Logan because the victim was only 18 years old. Mm -hmm. But the lawyer then argues that they're suing basically everyone they can that's involved because they believe that the pacemaker was an unnecessary procedure in the first place. And, you know, what he struggled with could have been managed with drugs probably, but the doctor probably just wanted a bigger payout. Mm. Logan seems to have a major issue with them going after people for this, calling it revenge instead of justice in front of a mother who just lost her child. I don't really know why he's so invested, but he's really not about this at all. Yeah. They go back and they question the doctor who implanted the pacemaker, and he says he's familiar with this lawyer and this is kind of his MO. He goes after doctors for large sums of money. And he's sort of insinuating that it's like, you know, he's the corrupt one, not the doctors. And he yeah, stands yeah. by his decision to do the pacemaker. It's, it sounds on the up and up so far from the way they're talking to him. And mm-hmm. so they're like, okay. They go back to Miss Martinez, who's the mother of the, the victim. She's sitting at the table with her daughter, the, the young kid. And what they have done to this daughter's hair in this episode <laughs> is like a, a whole separate crime. Is she going to show up on the next fashion court? She better. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to do that because I don't know what they do with kids' hair in real life. Sometimes, even like I see parents bringing their kids out, and I'm like, "Why do you have 500 ponytails?" But right. this hair is like they couldn't decide whether she should have long hair or short hair, so they kind of did both. Mm-hmm. And she's she looks like she's wearing a hat made of hair on top of her actual long stringy hair. Poor kid. Not <laughs> your awesome. fault, but. <laughs> She said, uh, so, and she doesn't even need to be there. There's no relevance to this this person in the rest of the whole episode. The mother says, if nothing was sketchy about this and the procedure was on the up and up, why did the company BioNorm, who manufactures the pacemaker, why did they reach out to her and offer her a 50K settlement that morning? And they're like, well, did you take it? And she's like, no, I turned it down because they wanted me to sign some sort of NDA. And I want everyone to know, like, they are responsible for the death of Roberto. So on the way out of the door, Logan says, could be Bionorm has a heart. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Wow, good one. Good one. <sighs> the writers of this episode must have, like, also written for, like, the Marx Brothers movies or the Three Stooges back in the <laughs> heyday because the jokes <laughs> are so... You'll see. He explains... Logan explains to Soretta that his quote-unquote old man 
got a heart transplant or something like that. And he says, you know, if one kid dies, what's the big deal? Soretta is the voice of reason, of course, and decides they should probably just do their jobs regardless of what happened to Logan's daddy. Imagine. (laughs) Right? And he refers to his mother as the old lady also. Again, what year is this? 1942. (laughs) At Bionorm. By the way, I say Bionorm about 100,000 times in this episode, but they do it in the show too. I'm excited. Uh, there's a man who is the head of everything, and he says that their pacemakers are great, they're the best, and basically, you know, one kid's loss out of however many is no big deal. He also uses this is his terminology now. We're going to get all the 1940s terminology right now. He says that his old man worked out a greasy spoon, and an old lady slipped and broke her hip, and some shysters left him without a proverbial pot. What? Shysters? <laughs> I'm like, all of this, all of this, I just picture a, like, black and white cartoon character with, like, Uh two triangles of hair on their head, a big mustache, and, like, an exploding cigar. Because who speaks like this? I love the old lady slipped and broke her hip, though. That was a good little rhyme. (laughs) His attitude is basically that it was a malfunction of the product, nothing they're responsible for, a simple accident, and that this lawyer guy is just seeking a fat check, which seems to be the opinion of everybody so far. Yeah. So they try to see if Bionorm was ever sued before, and there's nothing really on record, but Robin explains that's not really uncommon, and if they want to check anything out, they have to go to the FDA and see if there are any complaint records on file. So in the next scene, we get the only guest star that I recognized. Her name is, the actress's name is Harriet Sansom Harris. She plays this FDA director person, Miss Kenny. Okay. And she is from... What I remember her from is she was on Frasier. She was his uh, agent, and her name was Bibi. Wasn't Bibi his wife? No, Bibi Newworth is the actress that played uh, Lilith. Oh, Lilith, right, right, right. Okay. But this is someone who is like she's like a redhead, and she's always like trying to get Frasier to do like crappy deals and like shisty kind of stuff to, to make money, booking him for Gosh, things he doesn't want to be on. Her. Oh, she was great. Um, and she was apparently a character on Desperate Housewives for a couple seasons named Felicia, but I didn't watch that show, so. You didn't watch Desperate Housewives? That really surprises me. Isn't that shocking? Everyone always is shocked by that. I did try the first season a couple years ago, and I liked it, but I don't know. I don't don't think it would hold up today. Yeah, it it was, you know, it was kooky. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think the entire reason for the success of that show was the shirtless gardener. Oh, he was hot. Yeah. He was hot. He was on uh, my sister's soap opera, Passions, back in the day. (laughs) So the FDA lady, BB, she says that she has six complaints on file, but none of the doctors ever followed up. And when they get the paperwork, you know, they have to follow up or they're not going to do anything about it. And so the detectives grab the names of all the doctors who never followed up and they start digging into it. And they discover that basically all of the patients who had these uh, complaints ended up dying as a result of pacemakers from Bionorm. Um, mm. They all failed in some way, but all of the patients ended up signing, or their family members or whatever, signed settlements in exchange for, you know, signing an NDA of some type and then nobody talking about it. They take this back to the, uh, they take this back to Kragen and he gives them 24 hours to, you know, bring something more substantial. And so they go back to the head of Bionorm again, and 
it turns out that this particular case with Roberto was different than the other the others because this one, the pacemaker was actually sold to a Dr. Stark who implanted it in another patient first by the name of hmm. Ethel Barnett. Are pacemakers reused? Uh, they're not supposed to be, to my knowledge. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I work in the medical field, and some of the procedures that I end up working on are related to pacemakers and this kind of equipment. So I do have a kind of hot take on it in a little bit, but they certainly should never be reused. I like that you just said some of the procedures I work on as though you're in the surgery room. (laughs) I mean, like the procedures I work on doing the authorizations and scheduling and (laughs) financial part of it. (laughs) Imagine. I just have this secret life. (laughs) Yeah. Secret life of an American teen. So it seems that this was reused for Roberto when they tracked down the serial number. And Mm. they're shocked to hear this, of course. I was shocked to hear it, too. And they're like, all right, we're going to go after this doctor. So they follow up with the Dr. Stark who bought this pacemaker for that patient, Ethel Barnett. Her blazer is the same print as mm, funeral home drapery, maybe? (laughs) Um, Like a red brocade? It's like deep green with like red like flowers that are really dark. Wow. Oh, God. Uh, She says no comment, basically. She says... I said everything I was going to say, and for their information, Ms. Barnett is still alive, but they actually took the pacemaker out of her and gave her a more appropriate device, and they donated the old one to a medical school for, like, teaching purposes. Mm. So, they follow up with someone at the school, and he acts very cavalier about it. He's kind of an obnoxious character, and he's like, oh, pacemakers, that's no big deal. I'll show you all the pacemakers we have. And they're like, okay, well, you know, how do what happens to these pacemakers after you, you know, use them for teaching purposes? Is it or a black market? And he gets mm-hmm. really like tight lipped immediately. But they threaten him with jail time, and he immediately crumbles and says, oh well, I, I guess I do sell them on the black market. But what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, do you sell defective units? And he's like, yeah, why? Um, okay. Well, <laughs> and we never follow up with this guy going to jail or something, but he absolutely is like a huge criminal responsible for some of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they end up going and checking out the person that he said he sold it to. And this guy is a total piece of shit, like right from the <laughs> jump. He basically admits that he's like a con artist in in, in short terms and he sells mm. this trashy reused equipment to whoever wants it. And as long as it makes him money, he really doesn't care because it's legal as long as he tells them that it's reused. That's terrible. Yeah. I can't believe that that – I don't know if that's legal anymore, but I can't believe that that was ever legal if it if it if if it's not was. anymore. Yeah. So they go back to Ms. Martinez and they're like, all right, let's find out if she knew this was reused because that is a big deal. And now they're in her home and we see it a little bit more. She's like ironing. For, in the middle of talking to these detectives, like, oh, I gotta do my ironing. <laughs> and um, her home decor is a massive portrait of a tiger. <laughs> and in the background, like a scale of justice. So that. Because who doesn't? Right, right. Who doesn't have that hanging in their living room? The set designers were like high fiving over this, like, ooh, yeah, for symbolism. Sure. They, um, she says, uh, no, of course I didn't know it was reused. Like, we're low on cash, but we're not stupid. And we right. would have never accepted a used pacemaker in my son's heart. 
So Yeah, I mean, obviously. So they go back to the original doctor, the one who they went to in the very first place, the one who actually put the pacemaker in Roberto. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, I know it was a used product. I always knew it was a reused, a reused one. But I was trying to do them a favor because they're, you know, of a lower income and they don't have insurance. And I was trying to, you know, get them a good deal. He says that despite the unit being used, it had a shelf life of three more years. And we had found out from the previous doctor, she had told him that the unit was a five-year unit, uh, a five-year shelf life on the unit. And it was implanted in her patient for three years. So we have... A little discrepancy here, and Soretta asks Logan if he can do the math, and Logan says, three plus three equals murder two. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Now, okay, if he... Re- My thought on that is, if this doctor was trying to do them a good deal and give them, like, a, a good shot, just don't charge them for the freaking piece of equipment. R- right. If they don't have insurance... You don't have a legal obligation to charge them anything. You could just right. take a hit. Um, right. So you're not doing them any favor by giving them a reusable product and charging them cheap less for it. Just charge them less and, for it and give them a, a superior product. And not tell them. Exactly. Exactly. So that's kind of bullshit in my mind. Yeah. And the, agreed. And then my only hot takes from my own experience is I know how much these devices cost now. Uh-huh. And... The pieces that they're talking about later on are not expensive. Okay. The actual unit. Do you think they were back then? I'm sure they were probably more expensive. Actually, I probably not because there's a lot more um, that goes into these devices now that wasn't available back then. Okay. So I bet they weren't. So they pop into this warehouse that the shiesty salesman, the one I described as a POS before, Mm -hmm. um, they go to his warehouse where he admits he has all these products and they see like that a bunch of people just frankensteining to, together devices and we find out that they're changing expiration dates on products and they're doing all this crappy <laughs> stuff they arrest him on the spot and his name is jeffrey Souter, and they hold him on a hundred thousand dollars bail as stone and robinette decide to start looking over the case so now we're switching over to the order part of the episode mm-hmm in Chambers, his attorney, the shiesty salesman uh, Suter, we're going to call him Suter, the Suter guy's attorney is arguing that changing the dates is fraud. That's it. It has nothing to do with murder or anything because the unit in question didn't malfunction due to the battery life anyway. It was the leads that go from the unit to the heart that corroded and that was the problem. And that's something that this guy would have been unaware of and most people in the industry would be unaware of. And um, they have the BB lady from Fraser, the FDA person in the room, and mm-hmm. she agrees with it all. She says, no one really looks at that kind of thing. It's kind of hard to tell. You'd have to do this kind of test, um, conductivity test, and nobody really does it. Which, A, is no excuse in my mind. And B, we'll, we'll get to that. It's, it's really no excuse in my mind. you got to do the test. Do the test. You're putting it in someone's heart. Right. The judge, however, agrees and sides with the FDA, and they have, like, a weird wink-wink moment. Um, and he dismisses the murder charges unless Stone can bring something else to him. So Stone and Robinette go back to Schiff, who, as usual, doesn't really want to take the case. He's okay with just pleading to fraud. But Stone <laughs> insists, I will get something more. And we know how Stone is, so we know he's right, going to really... So. 
He's a uh, little little champion. He is. He's going to go after these people. So Robinette then questions a fancy lady on a rooftop, and <laughs> I was positive this was Sarah Silverman. Oh, but it's I, way too young though, right? Y- yeah, I mean, it looks like Sarah Silverman now, and she she has yeah. the same voice as Sarah Silverman. I swear to God. How funny! But I, I guess not. I I really looked into it. I was so positive that maybe she was uncredited or something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she is one of the people who's. BioNorm pacemakers failed a family member previously and had gotten one of those sediment checks, one of these other five cases. Okay. And she says, um, I live the in the lap of... She's basically Ava Gabor in Green Acres. She's like, <laughs> New York is where I'd rather stay. <laughs> she's happy with the payout she got from her father's death. Um, and she's like, I'm not testifying. Sorry. I, I live in the lap of luxury, and I guess I didn't really like my dad that much anyway. <laughs> Yeah. And we learn in the next scene that all the other people are unwilling to testify as well. So they have to go after a different angle, and they look into the Bionorm leads instead of the pacemakers. They find out that the leads that were, you know, corrosive, that they uh-huh. were bought from a guy named Ziesel, and he's got some kind of company, but I like the word Von Ziesel Trapp? better. <laughs> No, Ziesel, is that from, uh... Liesel Von Trapp was one of the, uh... Sound of Music? People in Sound of Music, yeah. Can you believe I've never seen The Sound of Music? I'm, I don't know how you turned out gay, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> this Ziesel guy, he sold under this, you know, fake company that, you know, when they try to go after him afterwards, it's dissolved. And yeah. they check into the manufacturers who bought from Ziesel other than Bionorm. And they find a guy who is willing to talk to them. And he says, yeah, I bought all these leads from Cecil four years ago, which checks out with the timeline of the other deaths. Mm-hmm. And he says, but we knew immediately from like just the smell of the bag and the, the packaging that they were corroded. And, you know, we did do some testing and we found out that some of them worked, but it wasn't worth the risk. So we just had to toss them all out and take the hit, hmm. which would be the correct thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And this is what I think about the lead. The leads are very inexpensive. These wires are cheap, 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 cheap. So so why, like, reuse garbagey, cheap things? Exactly. Even if you bought a massive amount of them, it's not as much of a financial hit as anyone would have a problem Dying with. Dying and <laughs> getting sued. Exactly. Yeah. And especially in the medical field where people make so much money on implants, it's insane, the markup on these things. Yeah. It, it just is ridiculous. Even more tragic. So he's told by Robinette and them, well, you weren't the only one that got, like, had, which he's shocked by because apparently it was a big scam and there were five other people who bought these leads at the time and they all thought they were the only ones and they all got a bunch of duds. Hmm. Bionorm, however, was the only place that actually used the leads and that's where we are running into these deaths and all these problems. Stone thinks the best angle is to go after this kid, Stephen Cleary, who is the son of the head, the head honcho over at uh, Bionorm, the big mm-hmm. cheese. <laughs> and he is um, the person who checked the leads when they came in. But he was, you know, just a kind of a factory worker at the time. Yeah, yeah. And they hope that by going after him, they can, like, shake the family tree and get to the real culprit and charge them with murder, too. So, back in the courtroom, 
there's a bail hearing for this kid, and we have the attorney from the previous episode. I think it was episode maybe one. He's the one who I described as attractive from the front until you see the ponytail. <laughs> yes. He has, it's, he's still rocking this really unfortunate ponytail. I've never seen such a ridiculous hairstyle. He, it's so sad, too, because he would be attractive without that hair. Totally. If I hired a lawyer or any professional and then I saw that thing on their head, I'd be gone. Out of there. <laughs> Are you kidding? So he's there. He's the de- defendant's attorney. And they go to trial. And, you know, they question all the people we've talked about already. And they reveal all of the things we already know in the courtroom. And Prosecutor Ponytail kind of like rationalizes as much of it as he possibly can to the jury and it seems to be working but then when we get the big cheese daddy of bionorm on the stand stone asks him you know who did- <laughs> daddy apple <laughs> daddy apple <laughs> for any of you who haven't seen well we should put it on our our instagram but there's a, a meme of uh or a video a tiktok i think it is of somebody making fun of, like, Apple keynotes. And it's like, hi, money. It's I'm me, it's Daddy Apple. So good. Um, yeah, so we have this guy in the stand, and he's like, I'm not going to help you convict my son and tell you who I had hired to inspect the leads. And Stone's like, well, I think you just did. <laughs> I mean, doy. So soon after, we discover that Two stones chagrin, they cannot get in the other cases of the leads that led to death because, you know, they're not part of evidence. It would be prejudicial, and none of those people are, you know, saying anything happened that was nefarious. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, great. Now it looks like the defendant is just a scapegoat, and he just made one simple error on one pair of wires four years ago. So it's not looking good for the prosecution. No. Back in Chambers, Stone and Robinette decide we're going to try a different angle. And I feel like this is a trope they do a lot. They try to work the kid against the parents and see who's going to, you know, it's like that. Yeah. Who's going to fold first? Who's going to turn on who? And so they bring him into Chambers and they say, your mom ordered these leads back in the day. She was the purchaser. And she claims to have had no knowledge about what they were all about, but she has a degree from MIT, and it makes her more than qualified to have known better that these leads were corrosive. Mm-hmm. And they tell him, we're going to arrest her instead of you. Um, and since he's a mama's boy, like a lot of these people are, he says, oh, no, 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 okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I'm going to testify against my dad if you give me and mommy a deal. <laughs> and... In the next scene, we ha- and, and he, he confesses to everything. He says that he and his mom actually did check the wires for defects. They did run the conductivity tests that supposedly nobody does. And they did find some that were defective. And because of that, they begged his father to recall all of the pacemakers using leads from this Zeger guy. But he was too busy building his empire. Hashtag building my empire... Hashtag girl boss. <laughs> Hashtag boss babe. <laughs> Speaking of which, they do a lot of talk about that kind of language in the Lula Rich documentary. Oh, like girl boss. Mm-hmm. Because they say that that was like their language that they used to try to like lure people in. Yeah. So you're going to love that part. I can't wait. Yeah. They now go after the... Um, now they have enough with that admission to get the other five patient deaths admitted because now they have a confession 
that refers to them. So they don't need the patients to be participating. And so with that in their back pocket, they decide to try to scare the family to, you know, fold on whoever and get charges of murder against either the dad or the mom mm-hmm. because, you know, that's scary to them. You can be charged with murder. Yeah. And they get all of them in the DA's office together and they're talking to all three of them. Dad, mom, son, mama pear, papa bear. <laughs> <laughs> Goldilocks is there too. She's just in the corner. <laughs> She's eating porridge. <laughs> and they tell him like, we're going to charge you with this and da 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 da. And the dad is like, don't listen to them. He's just trying to get a drive a wedge between us and he's right but i'm glad that it doesn't matter because the mom and son basically realize that the dad's a total d-bag and they've already thought that for a long time evidently from the way they're acting and they're like you know what we're we're taking the deal we're taking the deal and we're putting you on blast Mm -hmm. after this we go immediately to the courtroom steps last scene of the episode And Stone and Robinette are walking away, agreeing that Mr. Cleary, with all of his evidence, will likely spend the rest of his days in jail. And then they say something about family values that it it wasn't really anything profound. And the episode ends, and I get one of those courtroom step endings. (laughs) Lucky you. Yes. Speaking of which, did you ever go back and count the ponytail or the scrunchies in Scrunchfest 1992 (laughs) to see if I got all of them? I have not, but I will, I promise. When I'm going through the fashion court clips, uh, I'll count the ponies. I'll count the scrunchies. Well, are you ready to hear the true crime that inspired this episode? I am. Well, too bad because this was not based on a real true crime. Uh, (laughs) Of course not. It's too ridiculous, kind of. It is. So, originally, I was like, okay... Let me try to find something similar. I couldn't really find something similar that was interesting. Mm -hmm. And so then I was like, okay, I can pick any random crime I want to. And I originally was trying to find a case of, like, a trans woman of color unsolved case to kind of provide some, like, coverage on those types of stories that are covered less often. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, like, 90% of what I can find, like, the entire story begins with their death. Like, nothing up till that point is ever, like, readily available from what I could find, which is very frustrating. And I did not want to tell a story that was literally just about a woman's death. So, So, instead, what I have decided is to tell you a story that is... um, Probably, like, 75% historically accurate and 25%, like, urban legend. So it's a little bit of a, like, spooky, inspired by true events kind of story. Ooh, wow. I'm into and this. It's, it's such a good story. I love this story. So I originally heard this when I was in Italy. We did a, a couple of, like, ghost tours. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the stories that we heard on one of the ghost tours. And then I went and did more research on it. But I've told you about how I went on those uh, ghost tours with Miles and my cousins, and they were all blackout drunk before <laughs> the tours even started. And then, like, at every stop that where somebody would be, where the tour guide would be, like, telling a next story, they would be, like, scoping for the nearby liquor store to, like, run in and grab, like, another beer for everybody. Uh-huh. So I was, like, the one sober person 
with a group of my like blackout drunk family members and i was just like i am so sorry to this tour guide that is always the funnest thing is to be the only sober one in the room (laughs) oh boy okay well here's the thing this is i think one of the very few stories that i actually get to begin with picture it sicily because it actually starts in sicily oh yes (laughs) So, this is the story of Giulia Tofana, who was born in 1620 in Palermo, which is in Sicily, Italy, Mm -hmm. um, the southern area of Italy. And the 1600s was not a wonderful time period for Italy. There was a number of plagues that had swept through Italy and other areas of Europe. Um, The plague most recently that had swept through Europe is estimated to have caused anywhere from 280,000 deaths to up to a million deaths just in Italy and apparently killed as much as 35% of the population. Damn. And the largest cities like Milan, Naples, and Genoa lost as much as half of their population during this plague. So Italy was kind of like going through it at the time Julia was born because... (laughs) In addition to the plague, this was the second plague to sweep through Italy. Agriculture was suffering. Uh, There was like neighboring countries at war with each other that made trade really hard for Italy because they were, their neighbors were at war. And I didn't read the history on this, but there was a war called the 30 Years War. Oh, I've heard of that. that yeah, I I didn't really know enough about it, but it apparently drained Italy of a lot of their resources. So it was financially, like agriculturally, socially, and like public health wise, kind of a shitstorm at this point. Can you imagine if back in this day, when this these plagues were happening, if a vaccine yeah. was offered to these people, <sighs> how quickly they would save their lives? Yeah, just saying. Yeah. So, in 1657, revolts broke out in Palermo and Naples, and uh, Britannica refers to this as, quote, the 17th century crisis, or the general crisis, which is just meant to describe, like, all of the conflict and instability happening throughout Europe in this period of time. Um, The Catholic Church was exerting a lot of influence over the population and and attempting to suppress, like, knowledge and science that contradicted the teachings of the Church. (laughs) So this was, like, the period of time where Galileo was imprisoned for claiming that the sun was the center of the universe, not the earth. So that's kind of where we are. Galileo. 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 (laughs) Welcome to the stage, Galileo Figaro. Galileo Figaro. (laughs) Unsurprisingly... Uh, Italy was still a very patriarchal society where women had a lot less power and privilege relative to men. Mm -hmm. And so Julia, as I said, was born in 1620 to a woman named Tofania Diadamo. I'm not Italian. I don't, I'm sure I'm going to get some of these wrong. So Tofania, her mother, was executed in Palermo in 1633 after being accused of having her mur- having murdered her husband, Francis. So Julia's mom, Tofania, reportedly killed her dad. And this was around the time that Julia was like 13 years old. So her dad, her dad died and then her mom was executed for killing him. So her life was not fantastic at this point, doesn't, it sounds like. Doesn't sound great. No. Um, but she was described as a very beautiful woman and her mother apparently had an apothecary and julia like 
worked in the apothecary selling perfumes and herbal medicines and stuff. Oh, that reminds me of Rose Apothecary. Every I can't right. I could never hear the word apothecary now. I always thought it was a cool word. I yes. could never hear it and not think of Rose Apothecary. Rose Apothecary. And I'm not mad about it. <laughs> no, not at all. So Italy wasn't doing great, but the it was particularly hard on women because Remember, like, the concept of marrying for love is a relatively new concept. So at this period of time in Italy, like, women were often just, like, put into arranged marriages. Um, Divorce was not a thing at this point. And so women were stuck in these marriages. Domestic violence was very common at this time. Um, Men faced no legal consequences for domestic violence. Um, Marital rape was still a thing because... Uh, marital rape was not outlawed in Italy until, guess what year? Mm, Just guess. 2008. Not quite that bad. 1976. Oh, okay. But it was 1993 in the United States, so (laughs) go us. So women also didn't have much economic security because their primary means of survival were either to marry, uh, to beg, or to do sex work. Were kind of like the three avenues for women to survive at this period of time. Yeah. Um, and so, as I said, d- because divorce wasn't permitted, a lot of women were trapped in these dangerous, abusive relationships. So women found different means of resistance against the patriarchy, um, including Julia, who opened her own apothecary business um, and created something called Aqua Tofana, which is a colorless, tasteless, and odorless poison. Oh, Four to six drops of aqua tofana were reportedly enough to kill anyone. It's believed that it contained arsenic, lead, and belladonna. Damn. Some records say that the poison was actually created by her mother, Tofania, and that she had, like, passed the recipe on down to Julia, and that that was actually how she killed Julia's father, was this poison. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So, according to court documents examined by Alessandro Adamolo, trying, in the early 1800s, Julia and her daughter Girolama, Girolama, G-I-R-O-L-A-M-A. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's... Do you think it's a J? I think it's a J, yeah. Okay, Girolama. They had arrived in Sicily. Um, Reportedly, the reason they arrived in Sicily was because they had, like, had a failed poisoning attempt and like were starting over in Sicily. <laughs> and in Sicily, they recruited several accomplices, two poison makers named Giovanna de Grandis and Maria Spinola, as well as two distrib- distributors named Laura Cristopo- Crispolti and Graziosa Farina. What a family I business. Think- <laughs> <laughs> right. So this, this, poison making business that they had they disguised it as a as like again part of the apothecary's business and they hid the poison in women's cosmetic products and so they had these jars of ointment called that was like this well-known brand at the time or at least well-known medicine at the time called mana of saint nicholas de bari which rolls right off the tongue oh totally 
And I was like, that is such a long, ridiculous name for a single, like, tube of ointment. But I was like, what would their catchphrase have been? And mine that I came up with was, our name may be long, but his lifespan isn't. (laughs) Pretty good, right? I like that. (laughs) Um, I did find a picture of the, like, poison bottle. So I will put that on uh, our Instagram. They should have just called it Secret of Mana. And and, uh, predated the whole... The video whole game? video game series. Yeah. So Mana of St. Nicholas de Bari was this ointment that was supposedly like from the bones of St. Nicholas. Uh, and all I could think about was like <laughs> Santa Claus's bones being grown, grown, ground up for, for medicine. But how but, could they do that? Santa Claus is still alive and well. Exactly. So <laughs> Aqua Tofana, the poison could be administered over time so that it it made the death appear to be from like a natural illness mm. and it left no trace so julia when she would sell this poison to women told the women to demand postmortem examinations of the men that they had poisoned and like coached them to act distraught and to cry so that it made it appear to be this like unexpected death and they didn't have any involvement in it because they were asking for an examination. And so the early symptoms of the poison, like reportedly it would be like you would put one drop into their food and they would start to develop symptoms like a cold, but then with more administering of drops, it would develop into nausea and then dehydration and diarrhea. And then it would develop into this like intense burning sensation in the stomach before it caused death. So Julia became known as like a friend to women in abusive marriages because that was her primary demographic for her poison. So she kept it a secret, obviously, because... She would have been killed immediately. Um, And she really, the way that she kept her business running was, it was like through this like trusted network of women who were like friends with each other and like trapped in these marriages. So she would only sell to women who like had existing connections to, uh, you know, either clients or the distributors that she hired, right? What an interesting like network of people. I wonder how they were able to communicate with each other and go so surreptitiously you know what i mean yeah yeah especially back then when there's like no respect and no spaces for women to (laughs) to do anything i guess like maybe her apothecary business provided enough space for that maybe yeah i guess you know word of mouth yeah um apparently she would also perform like a pretty thorough background check on any clients before she would sell to them and as i said sympathetic to women trapped in abusive relationships they were her primary clients and her daughter Girolama Spera also like assisted her in the creation of the poison and the distribution and all of that mm. so in one of the writings about Julia Tofana uh, from a traveler in the 1800s i think named Abbe Gagliani stated quote there was not a lady in Naples who had not thought who had not some of it lying openly on her toilet among her perfumes. She alone knew the file and could distinguish it. So it was essentially, he was saying like, it was a pretty widely available thing that she had created. And and they're saying that a lot of women had it potentially as like means of protecting themselves, maybe. Hmm. So one day, um, unfortunately, things went awry. So Julia had sold her poison to a new client And the client then, that evening, administered the poison in her husband's soup. 
However, just before he ate it, she, like, told him to stop and regretted her decision. And he kind of, like, pressured her into telling him, like, why don't you want me to eat the soup? What's going on? And she admitted to him that she had poisoned it. Oh, wow. I'm finding myself conflicted here. I I was going to say, damn. Like, ah, man, she didn't get to kill her husband because... I'm assuming, I'm presuming that she's totally honest and that he's terrible and that she felt like she had no other way. But then I'm like, oh, I'm rooting for someone to kill her husband and (laughs) mad that she had a change of heart. I know. I agree. I, um, yes, this is, it's a complicated story because in a lot of ways, like, I I adore Julia. I think this is such a badass story, Mm -hmm. Um, especially as we get toward the end here. But also, yeah, they're killing people, which isn't great. But also, you know, they're trapped in abusive relationships. And, so, you know, some of the things that are written about her and, and poisoning at this time is it kind of talks about how, you know, some of the women who did it probably just, like, wanted to get their inheritance mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. Like, some people used it when they weren't in these horrific situations that they couldn't escape. But it seems, by and large, that it was just women in, trapped in abusive relationships. Yeah, yeah. So... Word got out pretty quickly about the poison and that she had gotten it from Julia. And so the authorities, like, went to arrest Julia. But she had this really large network of women. And so the rumor of, like, the authorities coming to arrest her reached her before the authorities arrived. So Julia was able to hightail it and she made it to a church and sought asylum in the church while she like kind of figured out what was next or how to escape mm-hmm. and so for a time she was in that church and the church refused to give her over to the authorities but the news of her poisoning grew into a rumor that she had poisoned the entire water supply for all of rome <sighs> and so everyone went into a panic and that's when the authorities like went to the church and were like no you're gonna give her to us right now yeah So they got her from the church and they arrested her. And under torture, because they tortured her, Julia confessed to having killed over 600 (gasps) men between 1633 and 1651 with her poison. Whoa. Um, Of course, you know, she was being tortured. So perhaps that's exaggerated because, you know, when you're being tortured, you'll confess to anything. Right. But what happens next is still kind of debated by historians. And so I'll give you like three. It's like Clue. It's an episode of Clue where I'm going to give you three alternate endings. Is this like a choose your own adventure book? Yes. You can choose which one you want to believe. Oh, so item. So story number one. What? is that, you know, she was captured, she was tortured, and in July of 1959, she was executed along with her daughter and three employees in the Campo di Fiori in Rome, which is this large public square. And reportedly, when she was dead, the crowd then, like, took her body and threw it into the church that had offered her sanctuary as kind of like a... This is what happens to uh, to people that you give sanctuary to who we don't agree with, I guess. Yikes. And because the authorities now knew that the poison was disguised as this Tincture. readily available women's <laughs> cosmetics, mm-hmm. they it would became very easy to track down her clients and see like who these women were who had killed their husbands or somebody else or who were planning to. So Because of this, it was reported that over 40 women were then arrested and executed as being clients of Julia's. Oh, that's not fair. What does—I'm sure the oil had another function, possibly. I'm sure there was some 
unwitting person who just thought, ooh, this sounds fancy. I think probably they only, like, the 40 people they arrested were probably people who, like, had that cosmetic and then had had, had somebody recently die. Still. You know? Oh, boy. Yeah. I know, right. There could be a total coincidence. You could have just had, like, a like, a nice under eye cream and your husband randomly dropped dead and suddenly you're being <laughs> executed. <laughs> So, um, in addition to those 40 women who were executed, several of her clients and particularly like the network of women who had like facilitated the sale and distribution of the poison were actually like bricked into the walls of the dungeon of the Palazzo Pucci, including Giovanna de Grandis, who had confessed that she was taught to make the poison by Julia. So some of them were kind of buried alive, essentially. So that's option number one for what happened. Option number two is that Julia was never taken by the authorities and that she had escaped through her sanctuary at the church and now lives at a, not now, she would be dead still, but for many years lived at a convent and continued to distribute her poison through this like network of nuns, which is possibly my favorite story is this idea of uh, a undercover nun network distributing poison. I'm really into this, like, <laughs> this nunnery, yes. mana-producing yes. little, like, network. I'm just picturing, like, women in habits just, like, walking past each other in the yard and mm-hmm. slipping things into sleeves and little yes. winks and nods. <laughs> yes, exactly. So door number three is mm-hmm. that Julia was not killed after her arrest. So documents from 1730 report that Julia was alive into the early 1700s and was in prison. A scholar named Salvatore, which is your dad's name, right? It is. Okay. Salvatore Salamene Marino. uh, He was a a scholar in the early 1800s who wrote that he had encountered a woman prisoner named Teofania Diadamo, which is very close to Julia's mother's name, Mm. who was reportedly imprisoned for the creation and distribution of a poison called Aqua Tufania. And so if those reports are to be believed, Julia's poisoning career actually spanned more than 50 years. And his accounts, the scholar's accounts, say that she met a pretty grisly end in prison and was killed by being drawn and quartered. Yuck. So here's a few more just fun facts about this story. One is, so as I said, like the the facts and the, the exaggerations of the facts are kind of debated. But one of the widespread rumors about her is that she is responsible for the death of Mozart. Because in 1791, supposedly, Mozart was on his deathbed, and he was convinced that he had been poisoned, and that he knew what substance it was. And there is a quote that floats around, supposedly from Mozart, that says, quote, I am sure that I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. Someone has given me aqua tofana and calculated the precise time of my death. So maybe she poisoned Mozart or was was responsible for Mozart's death. Wow. Regardless, Julia Tofana is known as one of the greatest poisoners in history. And some people, like we were talking about just a minute ago when you were like, I don't know if to root for (laughs) the fact that she didn't get to kill him or not. But many debate whether she was just like a businesswoman who distributed you know, poison, or was she this sort of like angel of mercy figure who was 
intending to support women in abusive relationships and help them escape them. Or a third option is that her story is exaggerated and that she was framed and killed to keep women in line. Ooh, okay. Like this this story of like this woman who was... Right, like the the idea of this story of a woman who was like intending to help other women who was doing it through these like awful means, like we caught her, we po- we killed her. This is g- what's going to happen to you if you step out of line, kind of thing. I mean, I could see that because people always say, or you always hear that, like the main method of women killing men or women killing yes. is through poison. Yes, um, and I think it would be, you know, uh, effective to say, look, this woman was doing it. And even this head, you know, girl boss, <laughs> hashtag girl boss in the industry, she even came under all this fire. And look what we did to her in the public square and all the people just yes. to make an example out of her to keep people. I could see that. So regardless of what actually the like motivation for her creating this poison was, with a potential 600 victims... Julia would be the most prolific serial killer of all time mm. by more than a factor of three because the second most prolific serial killer only killed like 138 people. Mm-hmm. So she like topped that by a, by a factor of three. Or if you don't think of her as a uh, serial killer, you could also think of her as like the history's most prolific assassin as well. Regardless... I love her story. She, in my mind, is like a feminist icon, hashtag girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this idea of this whole network of women like fighting back against the patriarchy and, and abusive relationships in this really sinister but effective way. Totally. So that is the story of Julia Tofana. Wow. It sounds like her, her aqua was really tough on you. I'm disconnecting from the call now. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> oh, that was great. I loved that. Um, you know what that reminds me of? And I don't know if there's any sort of historical uh, honesty in this. I don't. You know the story of Lizzie Borden, like a little bit, right? I do. Right? Yes. I don't know the whole thing, obviously. Uh, obviously. I don't know the whole thing, but I did see there's a musical, maybe rock opera style sort of musical called Lizzie. Yes. And... They have a the story in that is that Lizzie Borden and her sister were planning on poisoning their stepmother before the whole axe thing happens. Oh, okay. And that it went awry because one thing or the other and accusations against the father maybe being um, sexually abusive and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a song in it where they talk about poisons and they go over um, all of the things that contain poisons. And apparently, like this was a book that was found. In the house. Oh. Um, and when you were saying the ingredients, I was like, oh my gosh, this totally reminds me of that song. How funny. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually a, a historical truth or, or even something that's believed or if it was adapted for the musical, but check it out. It's a great, uh, great show. Another random thing that I'll share, and you can edit this out if it's not interesting, is that... As I said on our other podcast, sometimes I like play around with creative writing. And I had this idea for a book that is the story of Medusa. Ooh. We know we all know Medusa. Mm-hmm. And this idea that she is eternal and shows up throughout different periods of history looking to stop the oppression of women and 
get revenge for the awful things that were done to her, right? Because she was raped by Zeus and mm-hmm. turned into a, a snake monster. Yeah. Um, so I just love this idea of like her actually being these interesting women in different periods of time. And Julia Tofana was one of the ones that I thought like it would be so interesting to like think of her as this this care this reinterpretation of like Medusa seeking justice for women. Um, so if I ever get off my ass and write anything. I might write that. I love that. I also love that you've shared that you're into creative writing because I'm I'm right there with you and you've, you're like inspiring me by the oh. fact that you're doing all this stuff. Uh, I think that's very interesting. I love the character of Medusa too. I just love, I really love mythology, Greek and Roman Same. mythology specifically, but anything I've, I've been more familiar with. And Medusa's always been one of my like most compelling characters in that for me. Yes. Yes. Agreed. What, uh, what would you rate the episode? <laughs> I I rate the episode for watchability. I'm gonna give it like a C. It was fine. Um, okay. I also I just didn't. I thought that there were so many things that were so unnecessary. Like yeah. why the, the why why were they a Latinx family? Why is is the musical thing a thing? Why are we talking about the daughter getting into Juilliard? And why do we not talk about the actual victims of the case at all after he dies? So I'm going to give it a C. And then um, what about you for watchability? Yeah, I think like C, C minus. It wasn't horrendous, but it was not great. Yeah. I think for crime, um, since it was not related to the actual crime, I'll just talk about how it dealt with the topics in the episode. Yeah. Again, I'm going to give it a D because I think it was... (laughs) grossly like misinterpreting the motives and the cost issues and yeah i thought it was just yeah. not really true Realistic. to any sort of life and again they they don't focus on the actual people who died um really at all <laughs> yeah i would agree with you yeah um i do have a poorly placed platitude for the episode Ooh, what do you got all right so this is i'm gonna do my stone voice okay when dealing with matters of the heart, if you lead someone on, the corrosion can run deep enough to kill more than just a relationship. Uh, that's better. I hate it. I hate <laughs> it, but it's better. <laughs> hey, if you're happy and you know it, subscribe to our podcast and write us a review. Leaving us a review makes it more likely that someone else will find our podcast, and we are looking at you guys to give us some positive reviews and positive feels. Also, most people try a podcast because a friend recommends it. So if you're enjoying our show, please tell a friend. And we love, love, love connecting with our listeners. So please feel free to send us an email about anything you hear in the episode, your hot takes, um, your disagreements. (laughs) If you want to tell us which door you chose for Julia at the end, our email is rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ripped Headlines. Also, don't forget to check out our ripped our ripped website, which is rippedheadlinespod.com, where you will find the link to our Patreon, which has some great perks, monthly Law & Order SVU episodes, and you get the joy of supporting one of your favorite podcasts. And you also get the joy of doing positive thing for the world because a percentage of our Patreon proceeds get donated to the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to Rip from the Headlines, where you get the facts and some fiction. And we'll see you next week. Until then, stay out of the headlines. Bye. Bye.